Welcome to the Masterful Art of Self-Care, hosted by Nitu Bawalis. So I am outside right now in the back of my house on the deck and I'm recording outside because it's a really beautiful um, spring day. And so if you're listening to this recording now, it's um, March 30th, so it's almost the end of March and then coming into April. And it's just really beautiful outside. The sun is shining and you can hear the birds chirping if you can hear it. And I think it's a nice break because we've been having, at least here in the Bay Area, um, we've been having a lot of rain. So it's nice to kind of have a break and be able to enjoy the sun. And I'm really excited um, to have um, this particular guest on um, this episode of the Masterful Art of Self-Care. Interestingly, I actually interviewed her last year in March, um, around, yeah, around the same time last year in March. And it was just when I was starting to come up with the idea of this podcast and I'd held off on um, publishing this one just because, you know, I was still trying to get a sense of the feel and what I wanted this podcast to be. And I feel that um, what she has to offer and what she has to share is actually, you know, in line with um, the mission and my vision of this podcast. So I'm really happy to introduce um, her name is Dashiell Vauter, and she is a really amazing lady. And she does a lot of really amazing things. Um, so she's a transformational life coach. Um, she's also a vision quest and a wilderness guide, as well as an aspiring singer. She helps people lead lives of meaning and heart and heal their relationships, beginning with the most important relationship of, relationship of all, which is the one that we have with ourselves. So I'll share um, her website and her Instagram handles um, at the end of the show. I really hope that you enjoy um, this conversation that I have with her. Um, um, as I mentioned, so it's like one of the very first interviews that I did when I was just starting out this podcast. So I'm hoping that it's still at least the same quality level of questioning answers, you know, quality overall um, that you've been enjoying with the other podcasts. So enjoy the interview. So um, I have here um, Dashiell Vauder, and um, she is uh, someone who I've known in the past. And I thought it would be really great to bring on just to talk a little bit about um, what she's doing um, in the world right now in relation to um, nature and being outdoors and self-care and just taking care of yourself in a bigger scheme of things. Um, and just from conversations I've had with her um, in the past and just in preparation for this interview, um, I love the aspect of um, self-care, not just being an individual self thing, but also a community aspect as well, too. And I know she'll will elaborate on that a little bit more. So um, we'll just jump right into it. And if I can have you just tell me a little bit about yourself, just um, your background, um, kind of what led you to where you are right now. Yeah. Um, well, should I start with where I'm at right now or, or um, no, uh, give a background? Yeah. So, okay. you know, where you grew up, where you went to school, um, just like your childhood. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I grew up in San Diego, California mm -hmm. and, um, I, my whole family lives in San Diego. So my grandparents are there, my, my folks, my aunt, my uncle, my cousins, and then I have a younger brother. Okay. And uh, my family um, spends a lot of time outdoors. So for all of our family vacations, we would go to the mountains or we would go to the desert. We'd go backpacking. 
um, or we'd go stay in the cabin in the mountains and we would fish and climb and hike and uh, backpack and just do basically stuff outside every day. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandparents were all backpackers also. Um, so my parents both grew up backpacking with their parents. Um, and so it was, it was something that really we all shared. And my, my uncle as well, he guided uh, climbing expeditions all over the world and um, was a, an itinerant runner, um, biker, swimmer, all those kinds of things. So even when we were um, in town, you know, every, during the summer, every Sunday, we would all go for a mile swim at the La Jolla Cove and, and then go get, you know, tea and coffee and breakfast afterwards. And so my, my memories growing up is that most of the time, quality time that we spent together was outside or having to do some kind of physical activity in nature. And, um, then, you know, when I, I left San Diego and I was 17, um, to go to UC Berkeley for college. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really do any backpacking during that time. Um, my family had always planned the trips for us and I had never really been involved as a kid in the planning of those trips. So when I got to college, it was kind of something that I didn't even really think of to do with my friends. It was like family thing. So we would still have family vacations that we would go to the mountains, go to Yosemite. Um, but I didn't really do that on my own until I met my friend Katie Sinnott, who had done a six week program. Um, I can't remember the name of the things like the Sierra Institute. Um, and she and I were talking about this place called the lost coast, which I'd never heard of before. And, um, we decided to do this eight day backpacking trip on the lost coast, which is a section of California coastline that's undeveloped. It's basically the longest stretch of coastline in California that is undeveloped. It's like 60 miles of, of coastline that doesn't have houses and stuff like that on it. There's a little blurb in, in the middle, Shelter mm-hmm. Cove. But other than that place, you know, there's a road going in and out of Shelter Cove. And other than that, there's nothing there. Um, just trails and fire roads and, and wilderness, bears, all kinds of, you know, it's, it's a wild place. So we did this trip. And after that, we just started doing trips together. Like we, we both loved backpacking. And so then we started going to the Sierra and, and doing shorter and longer trips or fitting in as many trips as we could in the summer, mm-hmm. um, sometimes two or three, you know, different backpacking trips a summer. Um, and most of it we actually spent in, in the Sierra, in Sequoia and Kings. And mm-hmm. um, each time I went there for these longer trips, my relationship with that place deepened and I think that my understanding just there's wisdom that's not really like speakable that can emerge from spending um days and days and days in the wilderness um moving through it and so um so that was that was a part of my experience um alongside that I was also I graduated from Berkeley and had gotten a job at a peace and social justice nonprofit, had a spiritual awakening when I was 25, left what I was doing, started trying on a bunch of different stuff. I um, was an art teacher at a kid's summer camp. I worked on the Al Franken for Senate campaign, which is kind of interesting yeah. now, but at the time it was really cool. Um, um, and, uh, and 
and then I worked on a documentary film about the local food movement and then I went to grad school for a year I also did a ministerial program not within a religious or, or any kind of church institution but based on um, learning about how to respect um, earth-based ways of prayer um, I went to grad school for organizational systems for a year and dropped out um, and by the time I dropped out of grad school I was kind of like, I do not know what I want to do. <laughs> and um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pray that the right thing drops into my hands. And I'm going backpacking. <laughs> and me and Katie planned this three week backpacking trip. Um, and uh, when I got back, or I, I ran into um, an owner of this company called Back to Earth, who I worked for in catering. Um, at an art opening, one of Katie's art openings, she's an artist, um, and told him about the trip and told him about this desire I had to run a, a women's backpacking trip, like an introductory introduction to backpacking for women. Mm -hmm. And um, he suggested that I run it through Back to Earth, which also had a backpacking branch. Um, when I got back, I followed up with him and he actually asked me if I wanted to take over the company. Um, which was really a surprise, not mm -hmm. really what I expected at yeah. all. And it also was really different from anything that I thought I would want to do. You know, like I, I went to Berkeley, I was very identified with my intellect as the thing that I wanted recognition for. And so running a company that was based around what I thought would be like vacation and physical fitness mm -hmm. felt kind of like I didn't really identify with it but I was kind of like it dropped in my lap and and I thought well I can take this in a lot of different directions and either way this will be a new experience and it'll give me an opportunity to backpack more so I'll just do it and I can do other things on the side mm -hmm. little did I know that like on the first trip that I ever guided I watched people have transformative experiences and drop into places in themselves that self-reported to me they had never accessed before. And I went home from the first trip being like, this is not just about vacations. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is something, this is different, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I entered into a really, I would describe it for myself as a really reverent relationship with the work which I, there was no work I'd ever done before where I really felt like there's something happening here that's beyond me mm -hmm. and that I, I have a role in supporting, but it, this isn't about, it's not about me and it's not about, you know, what I'm doing to make this happen. It, it's about something that we as humans are really longing for and really needing and that, um, and there is kind of a, a recipe kind of emerges of, what needs to be there in the container in order for people to heal mm -hmm. um, or to, to have experiences that are healing and, and to, um, to get, to get some things that we're really missing in this day and age and the way that we relate to nature and the way we relate to ourselves. Um, people are coming out feeling really um, broken and unhappy and disconnected and separate from themselves and from their lives and from the actual natural world around them. And if we can create a space for them to drop into connection for a few days, um, 
very simply like that is that that can actually be a really profoundly transformative experience so Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I know that you were with Back to Earth for about four years, um, uh-huh. helping to, you know, as part of the company and mm-hmm. also continuing to lead um, a lot of those backpacking trips. And mm-hmm. so I know that right now you're doing a lot of coaching as well as um, Vision Quest um, mm-hmm. type, I'm going to say trips, but um, mm-hmm. Vision Quest journeys, you know, with people. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about just how, um, you know, your experience with Back to Earth and, you know, realizing how transformative it has been for people and how that's morphed into what you're currently doing right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yes, I was with Back to Earth for four years. And um, I, when I left Back to Earth, part of it was because um, it, it's it's incredibly difficult to um, or it was for me to make a living um, doing that kind of work. And mm-hmm. um, I wanted to be able to do other things and support other areas of, of my own life. And, but, but what I also felt pretty quickly was that this is still something I really know how to do. And it's really still something that actually is a gift to people and to myself. And so I needed to find a way to continue to do that. So I think, um, I took a year off and then the next year I started by guiding a, just one trip a year that I offered to my past clients, family, and friends. And, um, so not trying to run a company, not trying to like make my whole living off of it, but just trying to do offer something, um, experientially to the people who are ready for it or wanted it or needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the vision quest guiding, when I started at Back to Earth, um, the story of the birthing of that company comes from a vision quest. So Eric, mm-hmm. who also invited me to take on the company, he had had a vision for Back to Earth on a vision quest with mm-hmm. Mike, Mike Bodkin, who's now my um, mentor. And um, I work with him a few times a year on quests. And um, so... I was like, what's a vision quest? And I looked into the, the, the organization, this nonprofit out of Santa Rosa. And, and immediately I knew it was something that I wanted to know more about because at that time I just thought this will be uh, helpful in my back writing. Mm-hmm. I think I was going to, I didn't think I was going to guide vision quests. I just thought, Oh, this will, this will be it's like a, you know, like continuing education. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to go get some more training and, uh-huh use that and apply it into my work. And, um, and also because I had studied earth-based ways of prayer for two years, um, to become minister, um, you know, it also spoke to me in terms of like plant medicine ceremonies. Vision quest is not a plant medicine ceremony, but, but transformative ceremonies that uh, bring people into deeper contact with themselves and nature and spirit. And, um, and also rites of passage, which is something really interesting to me in terms of, um, you know, a lot of the issues that we're seeing with teenagers and also actually with adults um, come from lack of being initiated in this culture. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, so I was very interested. And so I went into training for that and um, it turned out that I was good at it and the, the in the particular form that, that he practices um, and um, and I, because I had already trained in and was already working to hold space for people in nature, mm-hmm. there was a big part of what I was already doing that aligned directly with what he was doing. And so 
he invited me to guide with him. And the first quest that I guided with him sold out. And so he invited me to come back the next year. And so now I've been guiding that, which is the November quest for six or seven years. Okay. Now. Mm-hmm. So, and, um, and it's expanded. So now I also guide a youth quest for Sonoma Academy um, and sometimes two youth quests a year. And it's possible that next year I'll also be guiding a women's quest, um, which is exciting, really exciting. Um, but yeah, so, so that is part of the work. And then the coaching emerged from both because as I was guiding, you know, eight to 12 trips a year for back to earth, um, a lot of the work was coaching was, um, being with people in moments of difficulty and trigger and supporting them. Um, but there's, you know, when you're backpacking, you can't really carry another person's pack for them. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a lot of metaphor in backpacking. That's really empowering for people because it's like, you're going to have to carry your own pack. You're going to have to find the pace that works for you. You're going to have to figure out how to make this work for your body. And I'm here to support you with that. And I can help you adjust your straps and I'll go as slow as the slowest person. You know, I always hike at the back um, with the first aid kit. And so I, I stay back with, you know, whoever um, is moving at the slowest pace, which um, people tend to have a lot of judgment about. And so there's just a, there's a lot of metaphor that gets worked out on the trail of needing to come to terms with ourselves and be in acceptance with who we are and how fast we move and, you know, what we like and what we don't like and, and mm-hmm. all of that. And really just com- coming home. There's a big coming home. Um, that is a part of it. And so um, coaching kind of emerged out of it. And actually I was guiding a quest after I was done with back to earth. It was a couple months after I'd finally kind of fully closed the door. I passed it on to a friend of mine who's actually turned it into a rites of passage organization for young men. Mm-hmm. Great. But a few months later I was guiding the November quest. And um, one of the people there asked me if I would start working with him as a client. And I hadn't even launched my business yet. I didn't have cards. I didn't have a website. I didn't have anything. I don't even know if I told anybody that that was work that I was doing. So he asked me and then he sent me all a bunch of referrals. All my first clients came through him and I'm still working with him and other clients have come and gone during that time. But he kind of in a way launched my coaching practice and it's been something that I've been doing for the last three, little over three years now. And it's evolved, um, and it's uh, and it's informed by everything that I do. So it's informed by the practice of mirroring from Vision Quest. It's informed by relationship with the Earth. It's informed by my own spiritual unfolding process, breakthroughs, um, learnings on my path. Um, it's informed by what I observe in the world and in other people mm-hmm. and. Um, I mean, I try and bring anything, everything into, into that, um, that practice that I do. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then I love the metaphor and I I would love to come back to it when we get into the question about, you know, self-care and what Mm -hmm. it is for you. Um, but Mm -hmm. I would have to 
assume that your inspiration for you is probably nature and then also your parents, um, probably even your grandparents, and that they were the ones who really helped to kind of spark that fire of, you know, backpacking and that it, now it, in a way it has been so much a part of your life. But just wondering, you know, who, whom or what are your inspirations? What inspires you? It, with In regards to... It's with regards to what you do. Yeah. So with what you're doing right now with the coaching, with the vision quest, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I guess with um, the substance of your work, you know, what it, or yeah. what or whom is it that inspires you just to keep going or to do what you're doing? Right. Well, in terms of the wilderness piece is like my parents took me there, but as a child and as a young person, I really took that for granted. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really inspired by it. It was just what we did. You mm-hmm. know? And yeah. also like as a kid, it was like, Oh, we don't, we never get to stay in a hotel. How come? Yeah. We get to stay in a hotel? <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. You know, so I, I didn't think of it as like a benefit. Okay. Yeah, totally. But, uh, but really it was like, I remember these moments on backpacking trips, like sitting up, you know, at like over 11,000 feet around sunset. And there are these like wild, huge cloud formations over these, you know, 12, 13, 14,000 foot peaks and lakes spread out below above tree lines, so much sky, so much stone, um, wind move just, and drinking a cup of tea and like, or, or like walking on a trail sometime in the middle of a day, like just, just moving through the forest and this little pop of like awakening into um, the presence of nature, the presence of wildness and things making sense or wisdom coming through about situations in my life. That was not something I could have gotten to from a logical perspective. It was not something that somebody could have told me, mm-hmm. but that emerges out of an embodied experience being in a place and and moving and there's something very simple about backpacking you know it's like you have everything you need you're moving through a beautiful place you stop everything you do you do you know you mm-hmm. stop you set up your tent you pump your water you make your dinner you know you have this whole process with it and all of your needs are both being taken care of by the place also by yourself and, and there are, and everything else isn't there. It's like, you don't carry like, I mean, some people do hike with music, but we never hiked with music, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, there is a very stripped down experience in a certain way and how much satisfaction and joy and, and just like, um, almost like ecstasy and elation can come out of the removal of distraction and the removal of, um, all the things that we think we need to keep us stimulated and entertained. Mm-hmm. And in those days, there was even less stimulation and entertainment to avoid, you know, because yeah. we didn't have smartphones when I first started backpacking. That wasn't a thing. I had a flip phone. <laughs> so so in, in terms of inspiration, like one of my main inspirations is these, I mean, these moments are still very, very vivid to me. And almost every time I go out, I have, I have moments of experience that are, are, are pure and clean. And in this way of just like, of just being connected with life, um, that, 
um, there's a, there's a freedom in it because it's so, it so doesn't depend on anything. It so gets at the essence of what it means to be human and to live on this planet, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so that's a big inspiration for me. And then in terms of my coaching work, you know, um, when I had my spiritual awakening when I was 25, some of what I awoke to is how limiting my mind had been, how much my mind had limited me um, from joy and from aliveness or from a feeling of fulfillment in my life. And I had this, I had a very, um, I, I call it like my like progressive version of like the American dream. I was like, I'm going to work at an important nonprofit and like, mm-hmm. you know, live on land with yeah. my <laughs> multi-generational living and have grow my own food and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, oh, that sounds really, really beautiful, but it doesn't really matter what the thing sounds like it really matters is the relationship the place of relationship that it's coming from inside so like even something that is like amazing like wow you worked on a documentary film about the food movement can be done for the wrong reasons and the wrong relationship in a way that is deadening and and is running from something that is really important to you or that Mm -hmm. you feel really passionate about so people and and myself included get really stuck in things that sound good or look good or that we'll get validation for from other people, but that actually have nothing to do with our actual passion or purpose here in life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like when I had that awakening, I realized how limiting my mind was and that I really had been shut down and shut off from my heart. And my own process of like awakening to what that meant and changing my own life and, and growing and deepening in um, and learning about what I'm passionate about because that whole string of jobs I told you about, yeah. you know, where I quit and started doing all those things, that was all about experimenting to find what I was passionate about because I didn't feel like I knew. But I wasn't going to find out just thinking about it. You know, mm-hmm. I needed to go out and try stuff on and feel it. And so at, having lived that experience, I have a really deep compassion and care for people and I really um, want the same like opening and liberation and freedom for other people. And I, I've been helped a lot on my way. Like I had people who held space for me. I had people who introduced different ideas to me that helped, you know, crack something open that made me open to something changing, mm-hmm. you know, so we help each other. Like it's part of, it's, it's part of being connected is that, um, our own experiences of awakening and who we become vib- on a vibrational level can be supportive to other people in that same thing. And I really believe that, like, you know, the world will really change when we start to move away from conformity to, you know, societal ideals and into what makes us as individuals, claiming what makes us as individuals feel fulfilled or feel joyful and, and the creative genius that's locked away inside behind fear, um, you know, is like, we know we're losing that like every day. And it's not like, it's not like I have a sense of urgency or I think I'm going to save the world or anything like that. Cause all of that is, can be a really unhealthy dynamic. You know, yes. from when I was younger, I was, I was in the martyr thing, like I'm going to save the world. And now it's like, no, no, no. Like the world doesn't need my saving but I am inspired to have conversations with people and if they're helpful and supportive to them and they start to feel more freedom and more awake in this world, 
um, that's personally what I've inspired around. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to make a story about what that means or what that contributes to, but I just trust that like in the process of following my own heart um, that I'm and, and attempting to do no harm that, um, that I'm, I'm doing all right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doing okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So yeah. just to, um, kind of move to the next question and it kind of, I think has to uh, do with a lot of um, yourself, you know, um, awakening as well is with regards to how you define self care and, you know, having conversations with um, a lot of other people about it. And um, it has been really interesting just to kind of hear other people's definition. I could, um, you know, assume again, and at least kind of get a sense that, you know, for you, it's really about um, kind of peeling away the layers and about really kind of unveiling what it is like at the core, at the center of what it is that you need. And I think, you know, whether it was going through all the different jobs that you had, having that spiritual awakening, just kind of getting a sense of what it is that's truly your center, that truly fulfills you, you know, I feel, you know, um, could definitely be a definition of self-care, but would love to hear like, what is your Mm -hmm. definition of self-care and why do you feel that that's important for you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I I feel like I had a a really good, like clear definition. Uh And I don't know if I remember exactly what I said, but to me, it is something about, um, it's about maintaining connection with yourself. So self-care, every, everything, that self-care is to me, it's like, what's the purpose of it is like, that could be the definition. Well, the Mm -hmm. purpose of self-care is to love ourselves. And I ideally like we're relating to ourselves with love in every moment with everything that we do, whether it's going to work or coming home or going to the spa or reading or going to bed early or having a cup of tea or calling our mom or whatever it is that, that each of those things are motivated from a place of choice and love and that we also take responsibility for creating a life in which we um, feel nourished mm-hmm. and, 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 um, and whole. And, you know, it, there's a lot in this culture that tells us that, um, that where we're going is somewhere out there off in the future that like, if there's something that we, um, you know, we just get this next raise or get married or have kids or get the house or whatever the thing is, and then we'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And to me, self-care is about right now in this moment today, what do you need to do in order to be present with yourself? Um, And so it's like, I encourage all of my clients to develop what I call self-care toolkit. Mm-hmm. Or, or like if you're if you're really into like you know building stuff you could call it like a self-care tool belt okay. <laughs> um, but basically it's the idea of like have like 10 to 15 things that are your kind of like go-to so if you feel like you've had a hard day or if I feel like I've had a hard day then I can kind of run through some of those things that I know typically um, help me. So it's like, well, do I want a cup of tea? Do I need to take a bath? Do I want to call my mom? Do I need to journal? Do I need to read a spiritual text? Do I need to go for a walk outside in the woods? Do I need to go sit on my porch um, for a while with the sunset? 
Uh, do I want a glass of wine? Do I need, you know, like I'll run through this and be like, what feels good to me? And by good, I mean, not distracting, not um, like an avoidance, mm-hmm. but like an actually a, an expansion and an opening into what it is I'm feeling. So I think that's the other thing is that self-care can often get confused for like, oh, you feel bad, do something to distract yourself from it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this didn't feel great. Like watch a bunch of TV or, you know, you know, go out with friends or something like that. And <clears throat> I think um, to me, the definition of self-care is that it would bring you into deeper connection with yourself mm-hmm. and more peace and with whatever, whatever it is that's going on. And in fact, even increase your capacity to be present with things that are both beautiful and difficult rather than um, decrease your capacity or have you on the run from things that are uncomfortable. Um, And so that changes from day to day, depending on the situation. So Mm -hmm, that's the other thing about self-care is like, it requires discernment to apply it. You know, like, what do I actually really need right now? Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes even just asking that question, like I start to feel better, you know, or, or I start to feel more present, I should say, not better, but mm-hmm. I feel more present with what's going on and more at peace with it. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> um, so even just taking a pause, you know, can be self-care, just like stopping moving. There's a lot of movement and doing and just stopping to like be for a minute and realize you don't actually have to fix anything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of with regards to my premise of um, the Masterful Art of Self-Care, it's really about expanding, um, expanding like what you said, the self-care toolkit. So for people and for them to realize that self-care is much more than, um, does, doesn't have to be expensive, you know, that it doesn't have to be time consuming. And I'm wondering, yeah. you know, especially for someone who might, um, who might have like they're just one go-to, like whether it's, you know, go get a massage, like when I feel really bad or go shopping, you know, whatever, it might be a distraction or something that might not actually be helpful or positive or fulfilling for them. You know, mm-hmm. I'm wondering like whether with whom you coach or, you know, just in general, um, how might a person be able to start to fill in some of those different things in their toolkit, especially if they've never been exposed to it before or don't even really know, like, well, I'm always used to having a glass of wine. Like when I come back from work as my way of kind of like mm-hmm. um, my downtime and that's what I'm used to. And I don't know what else can work. I don't know if you have any other, um, you know, guidance or tools around building up that self-care toolkit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like what I, what I, when I talk to my clients about, it, I'm like, I, you need to have at least ten things, and mm-hmm. got one. That's a great place to start, um, and start to try, start experiment, start to try other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I'll say about having one thing, like a glass of wine or going shopping, is that um, regardless of whether or not like it's causing a problem in your life, if there's one thing that you always go to when something doesn't feel good, that is in the pattern of addiction. Even if it's not like causing problems, even if it's like, oh, I only have one glass of wine, I'm not like addicted, but it's like, well, 
but can you go home and do something else? Mm -hmm. You have to have it. Like, is it, is, do you depend on it? Do you feel bad if you can't have it? Does it get worse if you can't have it? Mm -hmm. You know, like, so that's not the medical definition of addiction, but to me, there's a pattern energetically of addiction that has to do with relationship, how we relate to something. Mm -hmm. And when, when we're in a relationship of dependence, one thing like a substance or the experience of shopping, what's happening is that we, um, there is an addiction on and it has to do with a dopamine um, trigger in our brain and it actually makes it difficult to have fun. We forget how to have fun in other ways. Mm -hmm. We forget how to find joy in other ways through the pattern of addiction. So this is why eventually like what that looks like in terms of drug addiction or gambling addiction or something like that is like like there's nothing else that will satisfy that person other than that. Now, mm-hmm. That's like an extreme example to make something obvious or clear or to make it visible. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the real piece is like dependency doesn't feel liberated. It doesn't feel free. And so it, if you're dependent on one thing or even two things or even just three things to make you happy and you can't find your way to peace through other means – Mm-hmm. Um, then, then that's a limitation. And mm-hmm. it, it often actually feels quite precarious to people to feel that dependent on, on one or two things that, that does not actually feel that great. It's not a deep feeling of fulfillment or satisfaction. And then it's also not really being in touch with yourself. It's kind of like moving my awareness or my relationship into this habit or pattern that I'm comfortable with. So there's comfort there, Mm -hmm. but comfort is not necessarily connection. Yeah. And so, um, it's, it's to really, so a couple things. So one would be experiment with other things, find other things that, that feel okay, but also start to bring awareness to how you actually feel when you have that one glass of wine or shopping, if that's the one thing you have, Mm -hmm. because if you do you really feel joy are you really feeling great or do you just feel like that sort of need or that urge is like momentarily satisfied and you know like really check in with how you actually feel mm-hmm. in that because bringing awareness to what that actually feels like it's it's more than likely that if that's what you do every day it doesn't actually have much joy in it anymore mm-hmm. I, and it's not always true it, for some people, it might, you know, yeah. that's not a rule, mm-hmm. but, you know, just know, like to, to notice, like, what is this experience actually feeling like? What I expect it to be in my mind and mm-hmm. what is the actual experience like when I do it? Mm-hmm. And just to kind of jump back to um, when you were talking about metaphors with regards to backpacking and I wanted to come back to this and I really liked it. And from when we spoke last time about how self-care doesn't necessarily need to as you said, like it doesn't need, always need to be joyful. It doesn't always have to be about, um, you know, that positive satisfaction, but that sometimes self-care is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be a struggle. And like, as you said, you know, with regards to backpacking, it's like, you know, how much load can you carry yourself? And that backpacking itself, like, I mean, I've only gone once, but I mean, it was definitely, it was challenging. It was hard it was a new mm-hmm. experience. And so that definitely brought out, um, a lot of, um, 
feelings, you know, of like, wow, I thought I was strong and I thought I could do this, but this is really hard. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, that aspect of self-care that sometimes you do have to go into the dark a little bit. You do have to Mm -hmm. go through, expose some of your shadows um, in order to then get healing or to then, you know, move forward, you know, into the light, you know, if you want to say that. Um, But yeah, if you can speak to a little bit um, of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure lots of people have different um, definitions and ideas of self-care, but, but another one of the aspects of what it is to me is about um, maintaining and returning to balance. So um, we talked a little bit about the medicine wheel last time. The medicine Mm -hmm. wheel is is the philosophical framework that we use for vision. And um, we have the four directions and each of those four directions represent a different um, energy in the seasons and um, the times of de- in the developmental cycles of human life and other life. Um, and so what we have is um, the East, which is where we're born and where we die, where we come in and out. Um, we have the South where we're children and we learn how to use our bodies and that we're separate from our parents. And there's a lot of play and innocence in the South. In the West, we are learning about ourselves as individuals. We're teenagers there. We are learning about um, uh, just who we are, what our gifts are, what our challenges are, like what we are as individuals. And in the North, we're bringing all those gifts to bear in return to our community. So the North, we also call it the direction of the giveaway. It's the direction of adulthood. It's the direction of um, making sure that we have enough to survive the winter. Um, It's the responsibilities of adulthood. Mm-hmm. And then that moves back through to the east. Now, um, a way to synopsize those is in the north, we have wisdom. In the south, we have innocence. In the west, we have looks within. And in the east, we have seas far. And the idea is that our lives are meant to be unfolded from each of those four directions. So in self-care, it's like if I've been playing a lot, if I just like came back from vacation or whatever, and I've been like, jumping in the rivers naked and like having fun and just like just out there climbing, doing whatever it is that I'm doing, not looking at email, not doing work, whatever. And I come back myself might be like, I need to check my email and respond to people and pay my bills and pay my rent and do all these things. And that might be what self-care looks like when I get back mm-hmm. from a trip like that, because that's what brings me back into balance. Mm-hmm. Not doing that might result in my heat getting shut off, yeah. getting kicked out of my house, you know, losing work or something, all these things, which do not lead my life to a place where I feel cared for. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so the maintenance of self-care is not just momentary comfort. It is a place of a, a grounded sense of well-being, all of the areas of life. So, you know, the North and the South balance each other, the place of childhood and adulthood. Play balances work, work balances play. So if we've been working a lot, then self-care might look like going to the beach and playing or, you know, jumping, going boogie boarding or doing, going roller skating or doing something that whatever it feels like to you to be playful and to be light and to be in your body and to just, or even to enjoy things sensually, like, you know, eating a piece of chocolate or, or having a massage because the body is also represented in the South. Attending to the body can also be, you know, an aspect of self-care in the South. So I think one of the reasons in this culture 
why we have a bias of, oh, there's like massages and stuff like that is because we have a really like work hard culture, don't get enough vacation and people work really hard. And so it's like, well, then self-care is all, is this, mm-hmm. it's like, well, it's that because we're out of balance in this particular direction. But there's also the East West, which is the like, if I have been dealing with grief or a lot of shadow work in the West or, um, you know, in therapy or something like that, it's been heavy. The East is the direction of music, inspiration, connection to all of life and spirit. So the balance for me might be to go to a reading of Rumi poetry or go to a concert or play music myself if I do that or to um, get into some sort of connection with something bigger than just me mm-hmm. to, to, to balance out that intense focus on the self with like a remembering my place within a bigger, broader world of life that is going on mm-hmm. um, and inspiration. And so for me, self-care is also about balancing these different energies, knowing where I'm at, knowing what it is that I've been doing and taking care to balance. And I use the medicine wheel as a framework because I find that very helpful to kind of like see how those things relate to each other and to use them to be like, Oh, what have I been doing too much of and what have I been not doing enough of? And let me, let me balance those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of like it not always being comfortable Yeah. Um, When we are in an ego identity, we have likes and dislikes. We have preferences and things that we would rather not do. And so the more resistance that we have around something, less likely we are to do it. And yet like you have to vacuum and like you got to clean the dishes. Like those things need to happen. So sometimes self-care is incredibly uncomfortable because it means like you need to not take the resistance and the discomfort so seriously. Just let that stuff get away and just do what needs to be done. It's like the Zen proverb, um, chop wood, carry water, right? And it, the, the whole thing is actually before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. <laughs> it's like, doesn't matter. You still have yeah. to chop the wood and carry the water, no matter yeah. what. You know, whether you're happy, whether you're sad, like, are you feeling good? You feeling, it doesn't matter. You still got to do the dishes. Mm-hmm. So I might as well, like, go there with, with a sense of, like, you can either resent it or you can be like, I'm going to wash these dishes and then my kitchen is going to feel better. Yeah. It's going to feel clean. Or, like, I don't feel like going running, but I'm going to go running because when I get home, I'm going to feel connected in my body, even if it was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm so proud that I did that and my body's going to feel better. Whatever the thing is, like having resistance to something doesn't mean that it's not self-care. Yeah. So that's where people get into trouble is where they're like, they think self-care is this kind of hedonism of indulgence of just whatever is comfortable or feels good, like eating ice cream or TV. And to me, self-care is, has a lot more nuance to it than that. It's really like, well, what actually needs to be done and how can you approach that instead of with resistance? but with a love for tending the balance of your life mm-hmm. and trust that like out of that tending process emerges a lot of joy and fulfillment that doesn't re- can't really be there if we're so ruled by our preferences or so ruled by our aversions. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I like that it's can be simple. Like it doesn't need like can be as simple as just, 
paying your bills, washing the dishes. And then it does bring, you know, whether it's like clarity, cleansing, you know, inside the house or that it provides balance. You know, if I'm able to pay my rent and pay my bills, then I'm able to live in this house and, you know, then be able to have, you know, enjoy the things that, you know, heat, whatever shelter that um, my house provides. So it can be really just like simple steps as well, too. It doesn't have to be overly indulgent. So that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I love the medicine wheel because you've talked about that a lot. Um, can you provide some sort resources or like websites uh, with regards to where people can find more information about um, the medicine wheel? Well, there are a lot of different medicine wheels um, okay. from different, various different traditions. So mm-hmm. um, the medicine wheel that I work with um, is, it was a lineage that was passed to my mentor through Hemio um, Storm. Um, and I don't think that he has a book that explicitly explains the medicine wheel. Okay. Um, but, um, you can do a medicine wheel workshop with my mentor. Um, mm-hmm. so the website is rites of passage, vision quest.org. Um, and, uh, there are probably a lot of other books about the medicine wheel. Um, I believe there's a book by, um, Stephen Foster called the four shields, um, that, that would also be topical to this. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'll, I'll see if I can find some more resources and send them to you after. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll definitely post it on yeah. the website and yeah. I know I'll also share your, um, Instagram handle and your website as well. Um, mm-hmm. so if people wanted to get in contact directly with you, then they can with any questions. Yeah. Um, so the last thing, um, is if you can share a three to five minute, um, doable. And so that doable is something that a listener can use either right in this moment or, you know, um, in the future when they're in the middle of, a stressful situation or where they feel that they need to be able to pull something out of their self-care toolkit or something that they can add, you know, into their growing self-care toolkit. So if you can share something that you do or something that you might teach, you know, some of your own clients um, that they can use right away in order to get themselves yeah. back into their center. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a few different things. I mean, um, one thing I'll offer is that, um, uh, there are a few different meditation apps Um, headspace is one of them. Calm is another, mm-hmm. I, I know med, uh, headspace has, um, one, two and three minute meditations and, um, meditation is always a great, uh, to me, I think it's a, a profound way of self-care because it's really about, um, self- separating out from the busyness of thoughts and in, in stepping back into consciousness um, and, and calm and, and being less attached to our thoughts, which is a lot of the work that I do with my clients. Um, another thing is to take your shoes off and put your feet on the ground. Even if it takes a minute, go outside, even if it's a center divider on road, mm-hmm. but if you can get your feet on the actual earth, um, that's a very grounding um, activity. So that's a way to just remember where you are, remember that you're human, remember your connection with source. Um, anytime I'm driving somewhere or sitting in a waiting room or like, you know, have a couple minutes in between something that isn't really going to be like useful for something else, mm-hmm. I will consider that as like, oh, well, great. This is time for me to just be with myself then. This is a luxury of a few minutes. I'm not, I don't have to do anything. And where I can just be with myself 
and think about how grateful I am for my life. And those little moments driving or sitting can be such, can really change the color of my day profoundly because, you know, even, you know, I get caught up in busyness too, you know, running around doing my to-do list, being able to stop and step outside of that and just be I just get to be with myself right now. There's no demands on me. Nobody can ask anything of me. It's mm-hmm. just gonna, it's just me and me right now. Yeah. That's really, uh, an easy, simple, really require anything except the willingness to let everything for a couple of minutes. Um, you can even set an alarm for that. And the other thing I'd say is have um, text you find inspirational um, or even an instrument, being able to pick up an instrument and like the song really quickly. That's an e-shield balancing self-care. Um, I like to pick up a book. Um, like I have a book called Women Pray and I have Sunbeams, which is full of quotes. And I, I have a ton of books that are filled with quotes and prayers and different things like that. And I'll just pick one up and see if I can find something that speaks to my heart in those couple minutes. And sometimes that one thing is just like, wow, like that just changed my whole day or that spoke so much to my heart. I feel connected to myself again. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Those are really mm-hmm. great tips and tools that people can definitely use. And I like, you know, it doesn't really require a lot of things as well in order to do them. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. great. Well, I want to say thank you again, um, Dashiell Botter for, um, spending some time to just answer some questions and really share, um, your experience, your life, um, with us. And again, I will share, um, just some of, uh, your resources um, that you'll send to me and then just some of um, your website as well. So if people would like to connect with you, um, they can definitely do that for sure. So thank you again. Thank you, Tia. It's been such a pleasure (laughs) to talk with you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Masterful Art of Self-Care. For more interviews and inspiring stories from men and women like Dashiell Lauder, who are bringing the neglected and seldom talked about parts of our body to the forefront of self-care, please subscribe to our channel on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. So I'd really love to know who you'd like to hear from next or what you would like me to talk about. So if you have a suggestion, please shoot me an email at tia at themasterfulartofselfcare.com or direct message me at tia the SPT on Instagram. If you're liking what you're hearing, I would love for you to consider supporting this podcast. So you can visit anchor.fm backslash the Masterful Art of Self-Care's podcast to support this podcast. Um, I will also um, provide this link on the show notes. We also now have a monthly newsletter that is available for you to read up on upcoming podcast episodes and to learn about self-care and its relevancy through other healthcare disciplines. You can sign up for it on our website, themasterfulartofselfcare.com. Make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast and please rate, review, and share this episode with someone who may benefit from it. It really helps for us to um, have this podcast just be shared um, with more and more people. So let's help make self-care more accessible and down to earth. Thank you again for listening.